Hey there, Conquerors. You're listening to the Conquering Columbus podcast, the only show that brings you the stories of all the incredible business owners, entrepreneurs, and leaders from around our great city, week in and week out. This week, we're talking to Mike Moran from Affiliated Resource Group. He's a leader in the IT space, and he's built a company from the ground up. We're really excited to be hearing his story and learning more about Mike and his team. Definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode, as always. Hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that episode, though, as usual, we got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Congress, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we're lucky enough to have Mike Moran joining us. And Mike is the president and CEO of Affiliated Resource Group, a cybersecurity managed compliance and IT support firm located in Dublin. And he's one of the area's foremost experts on cybersecurity and network solutions. He's a regular speaker at the Ohio Association of CPAs, as well as for the OHCA. And we're really excited to have Mike on to talk about what exactly is going on in the cyber criminal world today, how it affects your business, and what you can do to mitigate risk. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Mike. Welcome. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate you guys having me here. Typically, where we like to start, kind of take a step back, talk about how you got to where you are today, some of the key stops along your life and career, up to maybe founding Affiliated Resource Group. Sure. Um, well, I graduated a long, long time ago, 
and uh, I started working for Deere and Company in their corporate office, and I worked as an auditor. The normal route, you know, as you get your CPA or you get your CIA, which is Certified Internal Auditor, and then you go through the finance world. Well, I realized at about 8.15 on my first day that I was probably not destined to be an auditor for very long. And the uh, gentleman that I worked for, uh, he made sure that I was in the doghouse for all three years that I was an auditor. So <laughs> it was an amazing learning experience. And then I moved into the management consulting group and uh, I came to Columbus because there's a branch here. And uh, Deere had a management consulting group that helped the dealers, the larger John Deere dealers, get organized and then automation was just coming in and so I kind of led the charge on a pilot program for the corporation to make a couple things happen and roll out some systems and I had no computer background or anything I was just the kind of guy you said your dad was in the military I was the guy that stepped forward when everybody else stepped back not realizing that's what I was supposed to do and so I got volunteered and it went really well and um, I, I had no desire to come to Columbus originally, but once I was here, I was like, man, this place is great. It's kind of neat. Uh, I wouldn't mind staying here. And, and when you worked for John Deere, if you were going to go up through the reins, you basically became a, 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 on the agricultural side, if you will, you became a territory manager and they kind of shipped you off many times to a smaller town and that. And I worked there for four and a half years before I ever drove a tractor. And I don't think I did it very well, although I didn't take out any telephone poles or um, mailboxes. It just wasn't my thing. So I had an opportunity to go to work for a very small firm. I was the fourth employee, and my partner today was the fifth employee. And within a year, I grew the company from you know basically four people to 25. And I had another gentleman who we were at a conference, and we had a booth there, and a guy came up and kept talking to me. And it was just one of those things that you're talking to him and at the same point in time you know he's not going to do anything you guys are both in sales but you just wanted to be polite and have a conversation and at the end of the day he came back and gave me his card and he said uh, I own a company in Cincinnati we want to open an office in Columbus and I'd like to talk to you about it and they had about 150 people and it just was a good fit we did that for three years and then unfortunately it was a great company he and his business partner got a business divorce and they decided to close the company, so we started uh, affiliated. So a lot there to break it down, maybe into segments. How long yeah. at first were you at uh, John Deere? Group? I spent five years at Deere. Okay, so five years at Deere, and then you branched off. You were the fourth employee at the next company, right? Yeah. How long were you there for? Um, two years, just about two years. And uh, so actually it was a year and a half. So in a year and a half, and I knew nothing about the technology. I mean, to give you an example, I joined the company and my goal was to work with the IBM mid-range product at the time. And it was at the time it was called the System 38. And the day that I started, they announced a new line of product called the AS400. And so those of you that are listening that are of age, you'll now have a pretty good idea how old I am. But the, uh, the, the thing about it was is, is that when I went there the first day, the gentleman that I worked for, he was a great guy. He, uh, he said, well, you know some people. You said you know some people. Let's go out and talk to them. And so I got an appointment on the second day. I went out, and I took him out to a place in Zanesville. And these guys had owned a John Deere dealership, yet they were big in the oil and gas processing. They did all the pipeline and all of the oil field services work. Well, they had a big System 38 there, but I didn't realize it. And when the IT director, and I knew the owners, if you will, and the IT director walked me through and gave me a tour of their 
data room, which was a room about this size. There in the middle was this big square box, about four by four by four. It was kind of a cube, and it was it said on it five three eight zero. And I said to her, I said to her, uh, well, what's this? What's this thing? And she goes, well, that's our system thirty eight. So that's how much I knew about what I was supposed to sell. And and in reality, it was all about relationships. And back then, you know, you 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 get a list on green bar paper and you got a phone that um, I could joke and say it still had a dial on it but it didn't it had push buttons and you made the phone calls and that's what you did you dialed that was dialing for dollars and I know you guys have both done that in your career but it was you know you called and you talked to people and you asked them questions until either they hung up or they answered four or five and you just said hey would you mind having lunch and a lot of these guys were nervous because nobody ever bought them lunch they just wanted to peddle them a lot of them thought of if, gee, if I go to lunch with you, am I going to have to buy something? I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm asking for an hour of your time to learn more about what you do and how your company uses technology. The least I can do is buy you lunch for that time. And that's how I did it. You have lunch with the folks. And I was fortunate that I was able to make a connection with some of them. And they called. And, you know, a lot of those companies today are still here. And they're pretty good-sized firms. And it was great. I mean, at one point in time, Arthur Anderson big six accounting firm used to publish a list of the largest companies, uh, private companies in central Ohio, and they'd have a hundred. And of a, at the time, I want to say between 65 and 70 of those companies used an IBM AS 400. So, you know, that became your prospecting list of who you wanted to talk to from a business perspective. So it's just kind of interesting in terms of what we did and how we were able to go their business. And then the company that was based out of Cincinnati, they were a much closer IBM business partner. We worked with specific industry groups to get things done. And when they gave me my quote unquote partner territory to go work, um, the two IBM managers were kind of big about how big a number of accounts that I had and how big revenue and all this it had. And, you know, I disappeared for 60 days and I guess I did something that used my accounting background. But I uh, disappeared for about 60 days and I came back to them and I asked for a meeting and I want to talk about my territory. And both of them were sitting there and one was a manager and one was a director and both of them have been with IBM. Probably they were probably as old as I am now and they both were like, oh, oh, what do you want? You want to come and talk about shrinking your quota? And I looked at him, I said, no. I said, I just want to explain my territory as I found it. I went through every one of those 1,600 accounts you gave me, and in reality, there are 253 legitimate accounts, because I remember the number and I remember the conversation, and I said, you know, you gave me a quote of $6 million. Well, those 253 accounts won't generate $6 million, so, um, oh, you want to drop that? No, no, no. I'd like you to give me more territory. I'd like to work with manufacturing companies. They said, oh. And there was a long pause and they looked at each other and they kind of grinned because I guess typically that was the scenario that people came in and complained about their quota and got it dropped because they're terrible. Nah, give me, just give me more stuff. We got to work and we got assigned to manufacturing territory and we ended up connecting with the first tier suppliers to Honda. And at the time there were 15 or 16 of them in central Ohio and none of them had systems. And over the next two years, we sold 14 of the 16. IBM mid-range systems and IBM's manufacturing software to run their businesses and helped implement it. And it was pretty cool to be able to do that. So that's kind of how I got to then starting affiliated when they left.
kind of did the same thing working with companies with their software and helping them implement their software, helping them support it, helping them grow their IT departments and get organized and more formal. And then how many years were you doing the territory management? Because we're at five, two, and then this. Uh, that was three. That company, third year, third company was through. And the first year I did, and I grew the territory, and then they promoted me and gave me a bigger role. And then we hired in uh, another person to do that. So first company, John Deere, was five years. The next company was two. And then the third one was three. And then uh, uh, at the end of December, I got that call on a Sunday night that, hey, we uh, decided we aren't going to work any together anymore. And I decided I'm going to close the company. And I was just getting ready. We had just moved into a house about four months earlier. And, you know, we had talked about the idea of working a lot. And, yeah, I pretty much worked 60-plus hours a week back then. And I uh, remember I was putting on a jacket because we were going to go to the first neighborhood party. And uh, I remember saying to my wife, well, this is going to be interesting conversation tonight. And she's like, why? I said, well, I just found out I don't have a job. <laughs> so on Monday morning we went in and, you know, I kind of framed up some stuff on the board and had a couple of partners, and we started affiliated. That's how that's how we started it. So the details behind that conversation, they probably, maybe not to you, but most entrepreneurs, they seem kind of minuscule, and they overlook them because that part is just, uh, that zero to one aspect is, is very easy for them, I think, or easier than most things in life, and the reason why they're natural entrepreneurs. What were the details of that conversation? Was there any pushback of the group, or were they just all for it, and how did you think that you were going to make it happen? Well... Okay, so from our perspective, you know, they call it bootstrapping today. But for us, we had good relationships with a number of our customers. And we went to them and we kind of told them what happened. And we said, we're thinking about, you know, we made a commitment to you to do these projects. And some of these projects were several hundred thousand dollar projects. And, and we said, look, we're not interested in going to the wind. We want to help get these done. We don't know exactly what we want to do. But we think we can put this together and with us. And, you know, three of the bigger companies came back and said, how much money do you want? We'll front you. We'll do it. We said, no, no, no. Here's what we'd like to do. If you will allow us to invoice you weekly and then you will pay us in seven days, we will be happy to continue on until this project is done for you and it's done successfully. And they were like, okay, we can live with that. And we did that with them and we had a couple of others and we didn't hire people. There were four of us that were shareholders, but we didn't hire people. We actually used 1099s at the time just because we didn't know how long and we didn't want to make commitments. But a lot of people wanted to work with us and it was good. It was fine. It was okay. And um, it was interesting that um, that went along very well. And, you know, these guys just kept having more projects and more projects. And we said, hey, look, okay, we're going to do this now. We incorporated and I went to the bank and we got a, uh, uh, we got a small line of credit, but we, we agreed that we weren't gonna take a check for the first four weeks so we could put some money in the bank and we were able to do that. And uh, I think the first year we did about 250, $260 million with, there, was like, there were four of us plus a couple of subs. And by the uh, third year, which would have been uh, 93, 94, 95, by the end of the third year, we were over a million dollars. And then you know it just went on after that. And I think by 97, we were four or five million. So, I mean, we were able to do a fair amount again and, and grow it. And a lot of it just happened to be maybe we were in the right place at the right time. I think that we also made some good connections. I was really blessed that we worked with some seriously talented people that did a really good job. Um, and we also, I, I think the people that we did the work for, they appreciated what we did and how we did things. And uh, we did do a good job. So I think that was a that was a nice thing in terms of, you know, being able to grow the business in terms of that. So. 
Hey there, Conquerors. We're going to take a quick break in the show here to tell you about one of our sponsors, Mixed Wonders. Creating a podcast is a ton of work, and a lot of heart and soul goes into your work, and that's why you want your audience to have the best listening experience possible. And that's why we work with Mixed Wonders. Mixed Wonders is an agency that helps podcasters like us get the most out of their audio. And whether you're spending four hours mixing your podcast each week, or you just can't seem to get the level of quality you want out of your audio, Mixed Wonders makes it super simple to get popstar level audio at a low price. For a limited time, they are offering to mix your first episode for free. So just go to mixwonders.com. That's M-I-X. W-O-N-D-E-R-S.com to sign up for a free mix or consultation. Save time, sound professional, mix wonders. So if you, if you guys were able to grow the business to four to five million dollars, why do you why do you think the partners in Cincinnati even decided to shut it down? Why didn't they sell the business or didn't I, operate? I, I never figured that out. I think the 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 fellow that you know ultimately hired me, I think he was a genius. He was very intelligent and technologically he was phenomenal, but honestly, he wasn't a great business guy. And um, I, I think that ultimately the pressure potentially got too much for him and he just wanted to, he wanted to write code and he wanted to, you know, support his things, his church and a couple of things that he did. And I ultimately, I ultimately think that's what he did. I mean, it was too bad because I really think it was a great company and I loved working there. And, you know, we all did. We were just disappointed. But, you know, it, it's one of those things. That's kind of what happens. You see that on a regular basis. Companies that you think are, in, you know, great companies, they just, boom, it doesn't work out. So, yeah, it was it was disappointing. But, again, I, you know, the silver lining was we were able to start affiliated. And, you know, 26 years later, we're still plugging along. And I guess that's perseverance. I don't know that that's intelligence or uh you know, acumen or that. I think it's just perseverance. Maybe we don't know anything. <laughs> you know, we're afraid to fail, but it is what it is. I'm curious about why turn down the cash up front and go to weekly invoicing. I think part of it is just the idea of we did that for the first year and then we were able to go back to, you know, a, a more a regular cycle. But I think, again, there's a, a great deal of unawareness or unknown you didn't know because we had within the first month we had offers from a couple of larger folks that you know were we didn't consider them competitors but they did the same thing we did and we we competed with them uh to actually buy us and make us full partners so we weren't necessarily interested in trying to be beholden to anyone because again we weren't i wasn't 100 percent sure that my three partners were going to do that you know in terms of that i mean these are guys that had worked at companies for some of them five ten years experience before that you know they had families it was that so it wasn't like we were you know um hewlett packers sitting in our garage with regular jobs and putting this together it was an issue of hey these guys needed to put food on the table and that was four weeks a couple of them were pretty it was pushing the envelope. So that, mm -hmm. that's why we chose not to do it. I think it wasn't, there wasn't any grand scheme. It was just, again, trying to make sure that relationship was reasonable and what we needed to do. Plus, we had a line of credit from the bank. So, I mean, we were pretty comfortable with where we needed to be. And talk a little bit about what was cybersecurity like back then? What were some of the projects, like the details of what you guys are doing versus what it is today? Oh, well, back then we worked with application software. So like the ERP software, you guys have ERP for projects that you mm -hmm. do. Um, and then you probably run your your 
business with like a, a what I'll call a near P for a development or professional services firm. We work with the companies that did what I'm going to call the mid-market solutions, a JD Edwards or a PC, uh, uh, geez, PRMS, um, you know, you, you, JDA, JBA. We worked with a lot of those companies that mid-market companies were implementing to run their business more efficiently. And so we helped with that. So the idea of security wasn't really a big issue back then. You know, it, it wasn't until early in the 2000s that that stuff started where, you know, once, once Al Gore invented the internet, um, I got to chuckle, but usually older people laugh at that hard. <laughs> once Al Gore invented the internet, then you started to see this. And a lot of what happened with, with some of this is where you started to see things like Napster and all of that, where you had file sharing systems that people could use on the internet to do things. Well, then people, because nobody really had great security, people then started going in and using systems for that. I remember in, in early 2000s, we got asked to put together a network group because our customers said, you guys do such a good job with our systems, but then we got this network thing over here that isn't working real well. Can you guys make it work and fix it so that it works? So we got in that business. And one of our clients up in Cleveland is a, it's a pretty well-known insurance company. They uh, had a problem where they were having all kinds of problems with their network and they asked us to come up and the application guys had said, well, we got this group in Columbus, they can maybe help. So we went up and took a look and we found out what actually had happened was is a guy was actually doing, and, and it was funny because when we took the news to the CFO, he wanted to know what it was, but the guy had actually, I'll just say he had taken over a big section of their server and he was doing basically a movie sharing service. And back then, we couldn't necessarily figure out where he was from, but he was taking up a whole bunch of their space on their server, which was killing their performance and causing all kinds of disk problems. And as it turned out, you know, he, was, he had all these movies, and he was up there just sharing them with different people and his friends. Well, the CFO was pretty funny because he was like, well, what kind of movies? Well, we gave him a list, and he's like, oh, man, there's not even any good movies in there. And, <laughs> So we obviously shut that down, but that was kind of the first experience with that. And cybersecurity and security in general has just advanced ever since. And you know, since 2009, if you're in healthcare, you have the HIPAA requirements, the Privacy Act, if you will, to take care of that. And it's just really advanced. And once the bad guys realized that they could monetize their activities, then it's really become a much bigger deal. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, you had people like that. And, and, and our bet was is this was probably some high school kid or something who was sitting in his grandma's basement like we all think of the hackers. And they basically just went in to kind of be, you know, jokesters or somewhat malicious versus people that are monetizing it. Where today, it's really a monetized scenario. It's big business where, you know, last year they paid over $3 billion dollars in ransomware ransom payments, $3 billion. That's real money. And this year they're expected to see it 6,000. I was just reading uh, one of the security reports yesterday on the way back, I don't know where I was going, and they said that there's already been 4,000 data breaches this year, which is up a significant amount over last year. So it's there and it's there. And, and part of the reason why it's successful is, is because we give them the information. We give them access. You know, you get a you get a uh, a notice from Facebook if you've got a Facebook account that says, "Hey, you know, we got to validate something with your account." You enter the information. You use the same ID and password 
on your Ashley Madison account, I'm making a joke here. I'm not telling you which one I'm pointing at. On your Ashley Madison account, that's your same, your work address. And then Ashley Madison gets hacked and those guys get basically all that information. We all hear about in these financial things about all the people's financial information. I will argue that stuff that's just as valuable or more valuable is they also hack the people's IDs and passwords. And because most people today have 13 different online accounts, think about how many you have, how many you have. Mm -hmm. Luckily, I don't have that many, but think about how many you have how many IDs and passwords have you used? Mm -hmm. How often do you change those passwords? So that stuff sits out there on the dark web. People buy that, they consolidate it, and they buy 10,000 accounts. They might pay you know, a couple thousand dollars for that. Then they spend another 50 bucks on, on a piece of application software that runs a bot scenario against your URL for your ID and password. And a lot of those places don't have it set up so that after three sign-ons you get kicked out. They just run it through the process and they 10,000, if they can hit one or two and get in, I now can make money. Mm -hmm. If I can go and run it against bank one or chase now, I can make money. God, I'm showing how old I am. Next thing you know, I'll be telling you guys to get off my lawn. What's a, uh, what's a bank one? Bank one is, yeah, yeah, <laughs> bite me. So anyway, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on this. But totally allowed. Okay, all right, all right, I'll, 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 keep, I'll keep it PG. But uh, no, so I mean, that's, that's really how this has evolved from something that once people realized they could monetize it, then it really became something that's bigger. And, and even speaking of Chase, Jamie Dimon last year talked about the idea of as, as an economy, we are going to have to spend more and more money on cybersecurity and personal protection from these things just because of the fact that it has been realized that people can make money on it. Once you can make money on it, it becomes an industry. And that's the challenge. So, Yeah, just for an example of a story about this, uh, this was a few months back, but Shannon, my fiance, she was getting pinged from Apple. Hey, someone's trying to log in your, someone's trying to log in your account, someone's trying to log in your account, but she wasn't getting any of the notifications on two-factor authentication. Yeah. So she called the support number on the email and then the person said something along the lines of, like, you can't hang up the phone. They're trying to get in right now. Like, you, we need you on the line. Da, 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 da. I'm like, give me that phone. Like, but that's what, the, that's what you get. You get these people that are, like, telling you, you can't, don't hang up the phone. We need this. We need this. We need your password. They're trying to scare you into giving you their information. We'll fix it. Give me your credit right. card, and we'll help you get it resolved. You mean, listen, yeah. we need, actually, what they told her was that they need, she was like, why do I have to go buy, I said, actually, when I picked up the phone was when she said, why do I have to go buy a bunch of Apple cards right and i was like okay this doesn't seem realistic but the emails they sent and the things that they were sending were oh, very yeah. realistic oh yeah right so anybody can be fooled by that so that's one of the things that we spend as a part of our programs is it's, it's the idea of we call it user security awareness training and it's to help the general users and 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 quite frankly many of the worst purveyors are the executives or people that report directly to the executives because people will actually send them an email that you know like for example and, and it happens you know I'll be out at a conference and I want to sign up for a new program or I want to start a relationship with a new vendor and I'll call the office and say hey I'm gonna do this now they all know in my case I'll just put it on a credit card 
but there are a lot of places where, you know, they don't ha have that ability to do that or that, you know, whatever. It's a corporate policy, which I respect and I think is good. But they'll send an email and say, hey, Josh, I'm at this conference. I want to get started with, uh, you know, and the the person sending the email knows you're out of the office. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm at this conference. I just going to put together a new marketing thing. I need you to wire $10,000 to this account so we can get it started. There's a hell of a lot of money that goes out the door in that scenario. A lot. And one of the things we, again, we always talk about in part of that training is you need to have a policy and procedure. This isn't technology. This is a policy and procedure. When you get a request like that, don't send an email back to Josh and say, hey, Josh, is this really you? No, pick up the phone and call Josh. Because one of the biggest things is a sense of urgency and it's a sense of, hey, you got to do something because I'm directing you to do it. Well, you just pick up, hey, Josh, are you doing this? No, I'm not. We had a, a customer a couple years ago, um, speaking of just Labor Day, on Friday, it was 3.30, 3.35-ish on Friday, they get a phone call and it was the CFO of one of their customers. And he said, hey, I'm just getting ready to wire $125,000 request to you that you sent me in an email you needed the money. He goes, all I'm asking is our bank stops their wire transfers at 3 o'clock. If this doesn't get there till Tuesday, will you please continue working on our project? And our customer, who was the CFO, got the call. He was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you talking about? And had it not been 330, they would have wired that $125,000 and it would have gone in the, and that guy probably would have lost his job because that was money that you wouldn't have gotten back. But just because it was late and he made the phone call to ask for the follow-on, were they able to avert that? So that's just, that. I mean, that is part of how it's done. That's another one. The ransomware is one thing. Just that whole idea of phishing to get that is another. And then the third is, well, give me your information and, you know, boom, I'll take care of you that way too. So those are three classic examples of what we're seeing today. Not to mention, you know, that ransomware stops the company. The other stuff is, you know, is, is, it's, it's a transaction that affects you. And typically if they know you're gullible once, they're going to come after you a couple of times. That's why I don't keep $125,000 on me usually because I don't want to uh, accidentally fire it. you got a stack in your backpack, I'm sure. Right. It might not be hundreds, but I'm sure you got a stack. Yeah, uh. yeah, usually $100,000 in cash. But so what is what do the priorities in the projects look like for you? You guys carry around like two backpacks. I don't know what's in the second one. It could be true. I, haven't, I don't think I've carried cash in my entire life, honestly, maybe since like seven years old. But what do, what do the priorities and projects look like for you and your team moving forward? Um, we see a lot of uh, a lot of work in a couple of areas. You know, we have the traditional organizations that come to us and they want IT services and support, and that is an ongoing business. So there's a lot of folks that are looking today to be able to come back and say, you know, we've got to upgrade our environment. We need to address this. We want to get better. We're growing. We need help with all those things. And some people say. Help us evaluate whether or not we're going to go and keep our stuff on premise and we're going to own it or we're going to put it in the cloud. So we're doing a fair amount of that. We're helping people do their security and do their, their cybersecurity. And one of the things that we talk about is a good cybersecurity, a good compliance plan is really addressed in part by having your IT operations done on a solid, consistent basis. You guys know as wrestlers, you spend all those years practicing and you practice the same moves over and over and over again so that you had the discipline to be able to do it and do it the right way on a regular basis. IT operations are that. Up to 70% of, of the breaches that occur are done as a result of IT operations not being done correctly and timely or 
errors by individual users giving people information they don't have to. Well, if we do the training, we can start addressing that and getting it done. And then if we ensure that the IT operations are done properly and effectively, we can help minimize that risk of what's going on. So we're seeing a lot of that. And as regulations change, if you think about this, um, the state of Ohio has a data protection law that says if you suffer a breach and you suffer a breach and you manage X, Y, and Z type of information, you have to notify the people within 45 days. Well, over in Europe, the GDPR says it's three days. The state of New York passed the three-day one. The state of California is passing a three-day. So if you think about this, more than one-third of the ransomware attacks take longer than three days to get resolved. So if you have three days from the time you're aware of the issue to notify people and it takes you three days to resolve it, you're already breaking the law. And then when you get your system back up and running, you know, you're really not thinking about who am I notifying. That's like down on the priority list. It's like, I got to get back to my customers and I've got to catch up and do all this stuff. So it really is an on onus of these organizations to not only have programs in place to help them rapidly recover, identify they've got a problem and then rapidly recover. It's also a scenario of having a response plan. And we see that as a bigger and bigger part of what we're doing is helping companies facilitate those response plans in terms of what it is. So we do risk assessments, we do compliance assessments, we help with remediation, help with day-to-day -day stuff, and then start looking at the compliance plans, and we do some ongoing work as well. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's actually, a, it, it's, um, it's always been a pretty good time to be in IT, but I think that the reality is, is that the way we look at it is we're actually helping protect our customers and their productivity because that's the key thing. If you guys were without your systems for a day, it'd be pretty tough to do your jobs. And especially today where the phone systems are now voice over IP or in many cases they're in the cloud, you don't have access to that. You don't have access to your email. It's pretty hard for you guys as salespeople to do a whole lot of work. And that's part of what, that, what, what happens and what we're trying to help protect. So what about, talk a little bit about your company's initiatives. What about yourself? Any personal goals for the next three to five years, one to two? Sure. Um, you know, from my perspective, I, I've always been someone who uh, uh, enjoys eating. And I work a lot, so I'm not necessarily the... Uh, in the best shape. I think that's one of the things that I would like to do. I'd like to see our company continue to grow and I'd like to be able to help develop um, additional people. I mean, one of the things that I think is pretty neat, I, I'm really pretty proud of is I've been able to help a lot of companies. Our team has been able to help a lot of companies achieve their goals, grow, do a variety of things, accomplish things. And it's been really neat to see our staff be able to grow and do that. I mean, we have, um, there's one alumni from our company that's a professor at Miami of Ohio. That's kind of weird. He's got a PhD and he's a professor and he was a programmer a number of years ago. There's an awful lot of our alumni that are really successful directors and managers. They've been able to go up through the, through the ranks. A lot of them work for, you know, the actual software vendors. So we've been pretty fortunate in that. It, on the one hand, it kind of sucks to lose them because they're great employees. On the other hand, hey, man, they're able to achieve their, their goals and their dreams. I mean, we've helped a couple people that, you know, were married and they were having some problems, 
you know, having children and we were able to help front them the opportunity financially to, to do some things that way. And now they have, you know, families and that, and it's really pretty neat to be involved with that. So helping to do that is kind of neat. And then I, I think that, you know, I was involved in the community pretty heavy for a number of years and then kind of stepped back as we did some reorganization in the company and that, and, you know, potentially do some more of that because that's kind of fun. And then I get to spend some more time with my family, which is pretty neat as well. So, you know, my daughter would, would probably tell you that um, there were a number of days that um, I was gone before she got up and she went to bed before I came home. So, you know, being able to, now that she has a family, spend some time with them and, and give them some grief is, is kind of fun in terms of that. So, and, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, we ran the business out of my house for the first couple of years. Then after we started hiring some people, it was pretty funny. My wife used to joke that, you know, before, you know, you had the programmed coffee thing. Her Mr. Coffee was actually a person that would show up at 6.30 every morning and start the coffee. So she'd come down in her pajamas or that. And they're the, you know, there sometimes it'd be three, four people standing in the kitchen having coffee. She's like, oh, you have to remember that. And then our daughter, she got a chuckle out of the fact that the, there are a number of single guys that work for us. Well, they would stay for dinner. And my wife is pretty darn good in the kitchen. So these guys were there. And I remember... It was pretty funny. My daughter used to talk about this, and she was probably seven or eight, and here were these two big guys that were sitting at the table, and there was some prime rib, and there was my wife had made corn pudding, and there was like one serving left of each, and she said, watching the two guys go at it, she goes, I thought they were going to get in a fight, you know, and I'm right in the middle of them. She goes, I was like trying to be as small as I could be, but she goes, it was actually kind of scary because it was like two lions getting ready to go at it. And, uh, you know, just stuff like that was pretty neat. So she got some of that exposure and stuff as well. So on the one hand, it was, you know, a, a great inconvenience. Well, on the other hand, it was kind of a neat experience to, for her to be able to see what that was like. So spend some more time there. So those are hopefully a couple things that, you know, maybe I'll be able to accomplish. Well, it sounds like a great plan, Mike. And probably a great place to pivot towards our last question sure. of the show. And that's based around the team here on Conquer and Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? I really think it's just an, it's take advantage of the opportunities. You know, I, I think that there were a lot of things that I probably missed out on. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, my wife for years was like, hey, you got to get out and spend more time networking. You've got to get out and do, do more stuff like this. And I always felt that if I kept my nose to the grindstone and kept focused on things that have success. And we did. But the reality is, is that, you know, you, you sit there and in your lives, you get to interact with a lot of people. You get to meet a lot of people and you might get more opportunities than you think in terms of how you do that. And, and, and I'll give you an example that when my wife, when my daughter was in high school, she played soccer. And, you know, I was fortunate. I actually made a point to go to the games and there was some fundraiser or something was there and I'm sitting down and I'm having dinner with this guy and, and we're chatting and all of that. And, you know, he asked me my name. I asked him his name. And as it turned out, he was the CEO of one of our clients. And when I mentioned that to him, he was shocked and we started talking and I didn't want to talk about business because I didn't think, you know, here's a guy who's CEO of a couple hundred million dollar company. Shit, I got, you know, I'm just a guy with a rinky dink little, when we got done, he said, can I have your card? And at the time I carried a card and I gave him a card and he called and brought me down to headquarters because they had, they were not happy with their IT direction. And I sat there in the room with their group of executives talking about how 
other companies have done things and how we've helped other companies. And it turned into a pretty good long-term opportunity for us for a relationship to help these guys achieve more than what they were getting for where they were. And, and I think that that's an example that I realized after that was, gee, these folks, I have something to offer them as opposed to, you know, just being a guy. It was, it was kind of a neat thing. And, you know, my wife just kind of gave me the eye, like, you know, I told you so, but it, it's one of those things to do it. So, you know, when I, when I look at your time ideas is conquering the uncomfortable. I think one of the things for folks at, at your party, your careers and that you guys are all pretty tied into your technology. You're pretty tied into your phones, put them down, get involved, go out and meet some people, go out and knock on a few doors go out and get engaged, not just to someone special. I'm talking about get engaged in your community, do some things. I think what you guys are doing is kind of neat. I, I really do. I, I, I commend you for it. And that's why it's kind of neat to be down here. But get engaged because the more people you talk to, the more things you're involved in, man, the opportunities will fall into your lap. And that's the key. Keep your head up. Keep your eyes forward. I'm sure you guys got instruction like that when you're on the mat. You know, quit looking at the mat. Start looking at the guy. You're, that's part of, I think, what, what I would recommend. Because there really is a hell of a lot of opportunities out there. And this is a great town for opportunities. It's well said, Mike. And, and again, really appreciate you taking the time to tell sure. your story here on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was great. You guys are sharp guys. And it's a pretty nice office. Perfect. Well, thanks a lot. And Conquerors, thanks a lot for tuning in. Appreciate all your support every week. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have a unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state, and you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. If you could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? 
once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.